0: Welcome to the Heavy Hole. I am Tom. And I'm Big Will, a.k.a.
1: Uncle Buck. And tonight we have an interesting piece of audio for you uh, for a few reasons. Yeah, uh, first of all, big shout out to Justin. Uh, Jay Wall, our PERMA guest, will be in some parts of this interview in the background, but is not here uh, right now for the intro and outro recording. Yeah, so we had a lot of technical difficulties,
0: and we did an interview with the one and only Steve Grimmett, A few minutes into it, it got messed up,
1: so me and Will had to go back in and kind of frame this episode for you. Uh, Unfortunately, Justin is coming back from vacation upstate now. He wasn't able to make this episode, but um, we're just going to show you what we did. Uh, You know, we we kept some of the old interview, we explained to you exactly what happened, and then we get back into it and we tell you the rest of Steve Grimmett's story. So enjoy. Yeah. Tonight's guest... Steve Grimmett, legendary heavy metal singer. Most people probably most familiar with him through his work in the band Grim Reaper. Also, been in quite a few other projects and bands, and we're going to get into it. Yes, sir. Hello, it's uh, Will from Heavy Hole Podcast. How are you? Can you hear me okay? Yes, yeah. I can. Can you hear me? Cool. Yeah, I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. No problem. Uh, and I'm just going to go around. I'm going to introduce you to two other voices, my, my co-hosts here. Um, this is Justin. How's it going, man? Nice to meet you.
0: Hello, uh, Justin. Yeah, cool. Thank you. Nice to meet you, too. And this is Tom. Hey, Steve. Uh, Thanks for the hi, call. Hi, Tom. How are you? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Good. Yeah, good Thank you.
1: All right uh Steve Grimmett, um legendary heavy metal vocalist uh, here on the Heavy hole podcast sir. Uh, would you just want we want to be respectful of your time, so I just want to jump in. Um, what part of England are you from, and maybe you could contextualize that just in terms of um the the time and the place uh for for somebody like me who's from the United States and has never been to England, like just the area you grew up in and that, and that sort of thing and the environment? yeah.
2: Uh, well i was I was born in a place called Amersham in Buckinghamshire, which is uh, the home counties of london uh, and uh, my my dad was moved out of London during the war so uh, that's basically that 's where he was sent to and that 's where they settled down and that 's obviously when I was born and uh, it was uh, we, I was there till I was about eight years old and then um well, till yes, until mum and dad had decided to move, um, uh, and then we moved into a place called Walton on Thames in Surrey, and that, they were all sort of very countryfied, large towns, I guess. You know, nothing, nothing major. Um, uh, in fact, I went back there a few months ago, and they they still not changed that much. <laughs> so pretty Much like England, but it, yeah, if you can imagine the suburbs of, of, a, of a small town in England, then that's basically where I've lived.
1: Oh, okay. And, um, what are you from a particularly creative or musical family?
2: Uh,
1: no, not really. No, um,
2: my mum sings, uh, my uncle sings in a band, although I think he's now too old to do that, but um. But no, nothing nothing really major.
1: So how does music come in for you? At what age do you begin um singing or at least showing an interest in music? Uh
2: I was uh thirteen, I think, thirteen or fourteen. Uh girlfriend caught me singing in the bedroom and she said, Well, you're really good, you know and I'm like, Yeah, 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 And anyway, she got me a job in a in a band, um, a local band, um, which didn't last too long. And then um uh, I started working with Medusa, um, I don't know, about six months, six, eight months after that. Um, and then uh, straight on to Grim, well not straight on, but, but after a while we moved to I moved to Grim Reaper
1: okay and um obviously we have a lot of questions uh about grim reaper and about your your, further on in your career but before we move on uh you did mention that you were um i I guess as a teenager it was a girlfriend of yours that that encouraged you to start singing uh could you tell us could you tell us a little bit more about what just what what you were like as a teenager and maybe what the climate was in terms of rock and roll music and youth culture uh around around your area well it was it was sorta of get getting going really because
2: uh my first live song that I, that I'd played was um, The Boys Are Back in Town <laughs> by Tim <laughs> yes. So you can imagine the, kind of, the 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 kind of time. Um and then we also had Slade. Which weren't really what I call heavy. Well, they're not heavy metal at all. But um, and and that was the kind of thing. And um, so I joined it right at the very start of any new wave of British heavy metal. You know, once I was in Medusa, that was it. You know, that it was it was all heavy metal after that. But um, yeah, that would that would have been classed right at the very start of of, um, new wave of British heavy metal.
1: And and when do you remember the term heavy metal uh, kind of replacing rock, or or at least being used to differentiate from hard rock music?
2: Yeah, it was, well, that was in the states, and we we still had, we didn't pigeonhole ourselves, so it was like difficult to listen to, well, not difficult, but it was like strange to listen to people say, oh, you're you're a hard hard rock band, or you're heavy metal, or. Uh, we just did what we did, really. Uh, we didn't aim to play for any particular um, genre.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and, um, and just before we start talking about uh, Grim Reaper and your career really jumping off and Medusa what gi- Given uh, you described a little bit about the type of town and the type of areas you grew up in If not uh, singing for heavy metal bands and performing music uh, What sort of life do you, do you think you would have gone on to lead? And what sort of career do you think you, we, we would have had if you would just kind of um, I guess maybe fallen in with, with the, the majority of the rest of the people in your town and in your generation?
2: Yeah, quite possibly. Yes, yeah. I mean, my family were builders, so uh, I did for a while fall into that and uh, and did uh, construction work and stuff. So um, yes, I could have quite easily fallen into that. But I, I think my 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 dad knew that I was never going to be around long, really. <laughs> but uh, yeah, in fact, in fact, he gave me the thumbs up really because he used to. he he had a panel van and he he used to take us all over the place you know when we first started coming to the states he used to take us down to the airport in his uh, in his van because it had seats in it all the way to the back so it's like you know he he was our our limousine driver if you like so yeah yeah it was it was good though you know they they never helped me back never said oh you shouldn't be doing this you know they were proud so uh, yeah it was good it was all good actually
1: That's excellent. And I mean, on that note, are you uh, when you return to like your hometown, are you kind of uh, celebrated as like this, uh, you know, this returning hero or or something of of that nature or at least like a, a returning rock star or something? Uh, no, <laughs> no, not at all. The town, uh, town freak is back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if
2: if if I'd have been in the states and 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 born in the states, that probably would have made a difference, but not here. I mean, people people find out that I'm I'm a, a singer and they go, oh, what do you sing? Well, I uh, I sing rock, you know. Well, what band did he say was Grim Reaper? They go, oh yeah, I've heard of Grim Reaper. It's like, mm, yeah, you probably <laughs> they probably haven't. Because we, we've never really done a huge amount in our own country, there's never been a call for us to play in our own country. Huh. So uh, I don't know how they would hear of us unless you know they've stumbled upon stuff on YouTube. But yeah, but yeah it's uh, yeah, no, not really. I I'd, I'd probably uh, mean more to the to the town I live in now in Swindon uh, because the local newspapers followed me. Uh, when I was hospitalised and uh, and they followed me quite a bit actually, so you know I can see people looking and they get you know pointed, oh that's him, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, that's that's all it's for, not not for my music for, for losing my leg. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> good good to be recognised for something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so so getting into Medusa, you just recorded a few demos with Medusa, right?
2: Yep, that was it. That
0: was all it was. Satisfaction um. Hey, welcome back to the Heavy Hole. Uh, I know you didn't leave, but we are here for Steve Grimmett pickup. Uh, we had a technical difficulty. Yes. And uh, the interview so far was all good, but the rest was ruined by computers. So um, I got other computers to fix it. And here we are. And Steve, thanks again for, for uh, hanging in there with us.
2: No problem, buddy. Not a problem at all.
1: Yeah, we just want to add that Steve has been so uh, patient and accommodating with us throughout this process. It was very uh, embarrassing for the Heavy old Podcast. I was.
2: <laughs> I do know that you know I've got I've got a, a studio, and that's all computer. And sometimes it just goes tits up on you, and it's just, there is nothing you can do, um, and it's a real pain, but that's that that's you know such is life unfortunately
0: yeah i'm just
1: constantly under the threat of these robots you know (laughs) yes (laughs) it's like like an artificial brain album come to life uh for the listeners jumping back into the interview where we left off we were talking about um your your band medusa having interest from virgin records and uh, i i believe you recorded a few demos with them
2: we we didn't actually no we, we recorded demos anyway because uh, that's you know part of the due process I mm-hmm. guess okay um, and we had one from rehearsal and one from um, a studio uh, where oh I? yeah a studio run by the the now editor of Sound On Sound I don't know if you get that in the states I'm sure you do but uh, Paul White and uh, and basically. Uh, Clash of the Titans—that all came out uh, with those demos, because um, we we didn't actually uh, for real record anything, you know, for an album or, or, or that or such. So, um, so yeah, that's that is like a practice and you know a short demo of that
1: album. Yeah, and that uh, that Clash of the Titans—it's um it was released by Majestic Rock, uh, the label yep. uh, in two thousand five. Uh, just for the listeners, if they want to um, check that out, and you also uh, briefly um, before you, your work with Grim Reaper, you also sang on the album "Chained and Desperate" by Chateau. I did, I did. That
2: was um, that was basically uh, well, months before they asked me if I would do a single for them, uh, which I du- duly did, and um, and then in between that and recording that album. Uh, Grim Reaper had entered and won a um, local battle of the bands, which gave us 24 hours in a 24-track studio. So obviously we demoed that. But then I I got asked by Chateau uh, because they hadn't found a singer at that particular point. Would I go in and do the the album for them? I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. Um, you, you know, because then it was experience for me because I. You know, I very rarely worked in a 24-track studio. So <clears throat> um, I went and did that, but at the same time I took the, the demo that we'd come up with for Grim Reaper, um, with, uh, with hindsight of, well not hindsight, but asking the guy, you know, would you be interested in this? Um, and then six weeks later, um, we signed a deal with uh, Ebony Records. So it's, it was all wheels within wheels kind
1: of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that you mentioned that uh, Battle of the Bands uh, yes. where you were competing for the record deal with Ebony Records with Grim Reaper. That was amongst 99 bands, right?
2: It, it was, yeah. That, you know, there was obviously uh, several um, uh, legs of, of that particular thing. So I think, I think there was about half a dozen bands there on the night Um, And uh, one of the judges was Roy Wood from Wizard. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Yes, I'm familiar, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and uh, he was one of the judges. And uh, I'll just hasten to add I will never, ever, ever put myself through that sort of stuff again. (laughs) It was the worst, the worst because you, you you sit and you, you go up and do your bit and then you sit and listen to other bands and you think well they're better on this and they're better on that then. and you just wind yourself up so badly but um and then obviously uh, we won the thing and the, the house came down it was it was brilliant <laughs> and uh then Roy Wood made his way to come and see us um after we'd won and got the prize and all that sort of stuff. And uh, he said, uh, do you know what, you were the best band here by far. And I was like, I was, I was taken aback by that because, you know, this guy was uh, uh, a pop rock guy, you know, prog rock as well, I suppose. And uh, he really liked the band. So that was, that was like a big thumbs up to me. So it was good, yeah, it was really cool.
1: And was there any, um, maybe like bad blood or uh, you know sour grapes from the from the bands that didn't win uh, towards Grim um, I,
2: I don't remember any. Most that was a long time ago. But I I don't remember any. I, I I no I don't. I don't think there was. To be perfectly honest with you, um, we didn't really see. I, I think a couple of the bands came and congratulated us, but you know they. they I think everybody went their separate ways pretty much after that. Mm-hmm. And but uh, us and our fans stayed there for quite some time drinking the local ale. <laughs>
1: <laughs> in celebration, as they should. Oh, of course, yeah. yes. <laughs> uh, and uh, so talking about the early um, days of Grim Reaper, you actually replaced uh, Paul DeMarcado in 1982, yes, right, who had performed on some of the demos. I, I mean, this is, this may sound like a, a kind of a, a silly question, is it just coincidence that your name is Grimmett and you joined Grim Reaper?
2: No, not at all. My my name has got nothing to do with it. The Grim Reaper is one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse in Revelations of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've, we've had all sorts of uh, shit about that. You know, we're devil worshippers and all this. And it's just like, oh, just it, what it is, you know, the Grim Reaper, it, it it conjures up great ideas for album sleeves and all that sort of stuff, <laughs> and that's sure the, the, and that was it, you know. And then the songs are like three and a half, four minute a House of Horrors, basically stories, you know. And uh, um, we we came in for a lot of crap with that, um, but you know, it was it was just. It blew us away because we'd never even considered all that stuff. Never, ever considered it. You know, we, we weren't devil worshippers. And, and and it was just like, oh, I just don't get it. You know, and, and we'd have interviews like we're doing now. Uh, and people would say, uh, and, and the, the uh, reporters would say, well, you know, you, you've got to be devil worshippers. What about See You in Hell? And, I, and I'm like, OK, do you actually know what the song is about? And they go, no. I said, so you haven't read the lyrics? No. Well, no. And I said, well, I'll tell you now. It's about the temptation of Christ. How about that? And I go, well, <laughs> it's just, just like, yeah, well, there you go. You know, you haven't. And, and one guy said to me, right, said said same thing. Well, what about um, uh, Dead on Arrival? I said, well, now you've gone too far to be quite honest. I said, this, this, the guy that is in this story, is a, a, a personal uh, family friend who died, uh, hit uh, a car crossed the Central Reservation. Uh, but in in the UK, we have uh, like Armour Guard uh, for the Central Reservation, stop that happening, you know, stop a, a car crossing onto the other uh, f- uh, side of the freeway. But this didn't hit it and it took off and it went straight into his Porsche, right into the cockpit. Mm. So, uh, you know, he was killed instantly, probably mangled to, to shreds, you know, and, and that song is about him. And I said, you, you know, I don't know where you're getting this from. What are you trying to pin on us that, you know, that we're devil worshippers? Or, we, you know, uh, 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 I tell you, that, that's been a struggle for a long, long time. And it still goes on a tad, but not, not too too much, to be fair. So, uh, yeah, it's um, and, and it, it, it comes as a nice, a nice little put you down type thing, you know, when you tell them exactly what the lyrics are and and go away and, and read them, you know, before you open your mouth sort of thing. So, yeah, I've had a few interviews like that.
1: Yeah. Uh, and I mean, you're we're talking right now about the, the mid 80s. This was the period a lot of people refer to as the satanic panic period. Where a lot of journalists uh, you, you even had like Geraldo Rivera and Oprah Winfrey um, Kind of sensationalizing Heavy metal There was the infamous case where the two teenagers committed su- Attempted to co- suicide And the one was successful at suicide And Judas Priest was brought into court In the United yeah. States of America um, There's a lot of famous cases like that And um, I, did, did Grim Reaper Ever have any kind of backlash like that Or was there an instance of a fan That maybe had issues and took something too far And blamed Grim Reaper or anything like that
2: uh, no, but I, I do because I've, I've got a lot of Facebook friends, and one of them said, uh, she she is a, a, a Christian, goes to church every Sunday and all that, and she said that her her one time uh, preacher was going to take us to court for it, and uh, but it it, it didn't. Ha- I think it didn't happen because everybody that tried that failed. Um, you know, obviously the Judas Priest and then Ozzy Osbourne was another. Um, and I think basically they they just thought, well, you know, it, it's a waste of time. You know, what have we done? You know, there's nothing satanic about it at all. But anyway, they didn't. Um, um, but yeah, it was kind of upsetting when you consider that it's just entertainment, you know. Um, I don't know. We never had that problem in this country. Mind you, having said that, we've not really played a lot in the UK uh, then and now, to be fair. We had a a concert cancelled on Friday uh, because they'd only done six pre-sale tickets. I I did find out that there would have been about 350, 400 people there, but it's too late once you've cancelled it. But that's unfortunately what happens these days if you get no pre-sales you can't really work out what walk-up you're gonna get so they'd rather cancel it and not pay you any money you know? so
1: that's a, that's a shame and i uh, you know i'd imagine that a lot of grim reaper grim reaper spans uh multiple generations of metalheads so there's probably people there that aren't used to the pre-sale uh you know culture that exists now and are just used to going to a metal show you know
2: yeah, exactly yeah 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 i mean and and that's how it was in the 80s you just rolled up
1: you know <laughs> uh, you didn't you
2: didn't well there wasn't the internet in the 80s so you couldn't you couldn't do that you could you'd have to go to a music shop to, to buy that you know your tickets and stuff uh, a lot of people didn't bother because they just rolled up on the night and you know and it was it was always a good night in the 80s it seems like people had nothing else to do or better, better to do than to get out and see a great uh, concert. Well, now you've got TV. <laughs> well, you had TV then, but uh, much better TV. You've yeah, got, yeah, uh, you under know, me. game consoles, phones, which uh, and the whole situation has changed. It, it's even the same in the pubs here. You know, you go. You, in the eighties, you'd go out every night to a pub and have a few pints and then go home. Now you don't see. I've got a pub literally two hundred yards away from my house. And I can go in there on a Saturday night, and it's empty. And it's yeah. like you know, and and it's all to do, I think, with obviously money. That's the first one. But the second is is the drink driving rules. You know, people don't want to go out; they'd rather drink at home and, and watch TV. You know, and I and I I think that's all part and parcel of it
1: yeah a big uh, cultural shift. um and yes. you, you you also touched on the ch- the changes in technology. Maybe steering the conversation back to the early years of Grim Reaper. Could you yes. explain, because we have a lot of younger listeners um who maybe don't even uh, realize the significance of winning uh, that re- that recording deal to because because with the with the, the Battle of the bands, what you actually won was uh, several hours in a in a multi-track recording studio, right?
2: Yes, it was, yeah.
1: Yeah, so maybe you could explain the significance of that and what it meant to your band at that point in time with the limitations uh, of recording.
2: Well,
0: uh,
2: I mean, we were lucky, really, because uh, in the days of... I'm going to take this back a tad. In the days of the Beatles, they had a four-track. A lot of what you hear these days as Beatles tracks were recorded on four tracks. So... And then what they would do, they would keep one spare, one track spare, and then they would bounce all three of those tracks onto that spare track, which then gave you an extra three tracks to record stuff again. And you would just keep bouncing and bouncing, mixing and bouncing and, and doing that. Then all of a sudden you, you had the invention of uh, two-inch multi-track, 24-track. That was just like a, a godsend. Um and, and that's what we won. Cause we'd only up to that point done stuff on full track machines. So it was it was difficult. Um, and then once you got we got into this studio, it was like, Wow, you know, this is incredible. Uh, you know, so each drum, each cymbal had its own channel, you know, the bass had its own channel, the guitars which we used to double up, had each channel. Vocals backing vocals. It was just like it was almost limitless But obviously not because you only had 24 tracks, but you know, it, it it was an absolute pleasure To be able to work like that because you didn't have the restraints of four track or 16 track machines so uh, Yeah, it was uh, it was something else actually and we were Well, when was that though? It had been just very very early 80s maybe late 70s that we did that so and that was all brand new technology so um you know uh, uh, but now obviously with digital and you're using computers you've got a limitless amount of, of tracks but uh yeah it's certainly different to, to how it was
1: yeah and that um you just dis- you described that four track recording process that the beatles used that I, w- yep. I would add that that's actually a process that a lot of uh, our listeners' favorite, like, classic uh, demos, you know, uh, ex- extreme yep. death metal and black metal recordings were done yep. with that method on, like, Tascam and Fostex home studios in the 80s That's and 90s. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I had one yeah. myself uh, many years ago. Um, yeah, me too. Me too. Um, that, a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, it was a lot of fun, and it was, it was but very frustrating, because she used to lose stuff and ruin <laughs> it and all of this. It was, it was a pain in the backside, but you know, at the end of the day, that's that's what we all got bought up on. You know, and it must,
1: uh, must suck to lose stuff. I don't know what that's like. <laughs> oh, oh, oh boy! Hey, come on, yeah, man, you'll man, lose you. it.
2: You'll lose it in the bounce, or uh,
1: <laughs>
2: and it, and it was like, oh, that now I've got to re-record everything again. You know, it was just a, a nightmare. But yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, but it, it was good. It was a learning curve, and it's been part of the learning curve, and I'm still doing it you know i'm still doing the learning curve bit with uh, with the new digital stuff you know because it's it's just phenomenal what you can do these days with with the computer
1: it's 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 out of this world really absolutely um and and just before we before we get back to our conventional interview you brought up the beatles i got to ask you something that is a little um little left field and crazy What do you make of, or have you ever uh, heard of this conspiracy theory that Paul McCartney died and was replaced in the late (laughs) sixties?
2: Yeah, (laughs) Um, I don't know what to think of that. Uh, Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? I just, I haven't got a clue. To be quite honest, I don't really
1: care. (laughs) The music
2: music was fantastic, and and that's it. You know.
1: Fair enough. Um, Fair enough. So, well, they, uh, they, yeah. they, they say that they were the original boy band, so who knows what kind of maneuvering went on, right? Who knows?
2: Well, that's yeah, absolutely. You're right, yeah, because that's that's how Ringo, uh, the drummer, got got put in there, because uh, Pete Best wasn't what wasn't the chick magnet, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but Ringo was, so you know, it was going on then, and it well, it doesn't go on so much now, but. Uh, it, it ha- certainly um, happened to us as well, you know, where the record company get involved uh, because they think they know best.
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, I do have a few questions pertaining to that type of situation, uh, but before we jump ahead too far to other projects and bands you've been involved with, yep. we're, we're kind of still at the be- beginning of Grim Reaper. Um yep. And you you guys put out uh, the you guys put out this the see you in hell music video right um, with with, yep. the, with the the first album. Uh, I mean there there's uh, a, a lot of our listeners. Uh, might be familiar with the band through that video, and obviously people, uh, it was famously parodied or, or satired on the Beavis and Butthead cartoon show, and uh, yeah. I just, what, what was your like, initial reaction when, when they were shooting the video? Like, take us through the, the steps of, of, uh, of maybe the filming of the music video, and how much creative control you guys had in it.
2: Um, well, it was, it was a fairly basic video to be done. It was just uh, us on a stage playing live, Uh, To no audience, Uh, but um, it was it was good fun. You know, we'd never done it before, and it was something that we we quite fancied doing. Um, RCA at the time were requesting this because we didn't get one with our label. Uh, RCA actually paid for that, but um, uh, yeah, it was something else actually because I I think the director was the same guy that did um, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. For Queen, uh-huh. and uh, yeah, it was that was a good day. Actually, actually, it was a long day, but it was a good day. That uh, it wasn't terribly taxing because, like, I say, you, you, you we, they were just videoing us doing what we did, you know, doing a gig.
1: Yeah, this, it was anyway. just
2: all day instead of a couple of hours. <laughs>
1: and and did this um, did this music video receive rotation on MTV uh, at that point it, in time?
2: Yes, it certainly did. They put it out. Uh, they put it on MTV, they were only going to show it once and they put a questionnaire, MTV put a questionnaire after it is this sort of stuff that you want to see more of and they got inundated, absolutely inundated right. where um, uh, MTV then had to make a decision right, okay, how many more times do we do it and they what, basically what they did, they gave us maximum rotation so it was seven seven shows a day or seven videos a day seven days a week for seven weeks you wow. couldn't ask for better publicity than that so yeah
1: uh, yeah i mean six, you know six a day for six days for you know that that would have been way more metal for the 36s but you'll take the oh, extra yes. one yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> but wow. yeah it was a, it was a surprise to us and well, a surprise to everybody really that 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 uh, we got so much attention from that and you know, going go, going back to media, that's all we had in the 80s, was MTV and the magazines. That's all we had to get the, the, the stuff out there, to announce tours and all the rest of it, that's all we had. Nothing else. It was, uh, uh, I'm, I'm just wondering how, how it would be um, going back if we had the media we've got now, um, how things would have changed, you know. But, uh, it's not to be. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, it was certainly that's that's how we we got everything out the, the the record, and it was the record label as well. It was all down to the label, not us at all. We didn't have anything to do with that. Um, and uh, but now it's it's totally changed. It's it's some label, and most of it's all down to us.
0: You know?
1: Yeah, and um, that that speaks to something else that we we had uh, we had touched on last time we spoke. Um, how. In the early 80s, and, in, and through the 80s into the early 90s really, heavy metal was such a, a huge commercial market, and um, all, all these big labels were investing so much into it, whereas now, uh, you know, I'm 37, and a lot of people um, younger than me and from my generation think of heavy metal as being more of a clandestine, kind of cryptic, underground kind of community and culture. But maybe you could talk about just how big heavy metal was. Well, it was,
2: it was huge. It was absolutely massive um the, uh, because be, because they there was no internet uh, people wanted to find out about you. you had to search magazines watch MTV watch other shows on TV um, you know a like, like beavis and Butthead and uh, they that's how they found out about you that's you know the in-depth interviews and stuff like that and where you were playing because the uh once you announced a tour the record label would then put that in all the magazines you know uh, so they had to buy magazines to to uh to find out what was going on and and i know that to be a fact because here in the uk we had still do have Kerrang! and when that first started uh I think there was, I think it was close to 300,000 in the UK alone, 300,000 copies sent all over the country. So it was a well-read magazine and these days, I think it's down to about 20,000. So that gives you some idea of of how important magazines were back in the day. Um, So uh, yeah, but, but now obviously they don't need that sort of, uh, well, do we need it? No, I don't think we do. You know, the media is different now. We use the internet, Facebook, and all that sort of stuff to to let the fans know exactly what's going on.
1: Yeah, yeah, Um, and what about, just on on that note, uh, I know when I was getting into heavy metal uh, in the um, in the 90s, there was a, a really heavy, there was a vibrant culture of underground zines, uh, handmade magazines, uh, and tape trading. Was uh, yeah. w- Were you ever involved in that, or was that ever a big deal for Grim Reaper in the 80s?
2: Yeah, we did do that. You know, we did. We never refused an interview. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, so we did all the fanzines and, 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 and all that sort of stuff. I even did one three-hour marathon with um, Cornerstone because they, they got onto me and said, "Well, you're a devil worshippers band," and it <laughs> took me nearly three hours to convince them that we weren't. <laughs> but yeah, it was um, yeah, di- different different uh, different culture, different media scene. But you know, there was the information out there for you to get because, like I say, we never ever um, refused an interview.
1: Yeah, and, and um, I know you've you've said uh, a few times that you've toured more extensively in the United States uh, than in the United Kingdom. Um, yes. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about maybe the first time you, you made it over to the United States and what the uh, the reception was? And was that your first time visiting the United States, was traveling here with Grim Reaper?
2: Yes, it was, yeah. And in one word, it was debauchery. Um <laughs> Uh, 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 yeah, it was. You know, it, it, it was. We don't uh, we don't the,
1: censor the podcast, so feel free.
2: Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, it, it was. It really was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. If you know, and that was it. We had. I think Nick and I came over uh, about a week before the tour started, and we got onto a seven four seven jumbo jet. It was like, what the hell is going on here? You know, and of course we, we breezed it, went out, had a great time, and then did the tour, and it was it, it was just something else. You know, it was like doing what I want to do uh, every night of the week. It was it was just fantastic. Um, it wasn't all sex, drugs, and rock and roll to start off with. The first two tours, I think, were were fairly, they were insane, but not, not you know, it wasn't, um, we could have got locked up and all that sort of stuff. The third one was, but, yeah, it was, uh, it, it, there are lots of little things that come back to me every so often. And uh, it, it, it's, I do, I think about it with a lot of pleasure, because it was great.
1: What What's one of the big differences you notice or some of the differences you noticed between uh, the United Kingdom and the United States? Maybe not even in terms of the heavy metal scene, or maybe in terms of the heavy metal scene, but just, like, kind of cultural differences and, and things you hadn't realized or thought of before.
2: Um,
0: uh, we won't get uh, you know, upset if you say anything. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no. no. July, no, July 4th no, has passed.
2: <laughs> I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't do that anyway. And, and to be fair, I haven't. You know, i I... <sighs> I dare say I've, I've come across arseholes out there, but I've come across the arseholes here, you know? Um,
0: yeah, we can confirm,
2: it, we have a lot of them.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, you know, you get that in life, that's what happens. Um, but uh, I, love, I, I loved being out there. I loved making new friends and all that sort of stuff. Some still come back to the shows we do out there now. Um, you know like all of the uh, the concrete management people I, I see them on facebook a lot and then when we could we tour out in the states if we're close to them they'll come out and see us and it's great you know that's fantastic uh, but but not only that some of the fans do as well you know um i even had he was a, 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 a i think he was 14 when we did the second grim reaper video we had this kid Break some chains. They were all made out of plasticine and stuff, and and he broke these chains. Uh, he had to come over uh, with a with one of the record labels because he was too young. Um, he got in touch with me a couple of years back. Said, oh, do you remember me? I was in this video." And I was like, "Wow, <laughs> well, you know, it's awesome. great." Yeah, and that great. happens. That happens on a weekly basis. You know? um, so we made a lot of friends, and every time we come over there, we make more. Uh, we love coming and playing in the states. We got no issues. It's it. some club owners uh, think they own uh, <laughs> much more than the club. But um, tell me about that's it. not that's not too many, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we came across one the last tour we did, um, and uh, he started ordering us around. And he said, oh, "Excuse me, I take you to one side. This ain't happening tonight." You, you can stick it uh, So goes, I'm not putting up with your shit And uh, he soon I don't think he liked me at the end of the day But he just shut up Because he wanted us to play
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. well it's not always about making friends Unfortunately Well, well uh, yeah. no, not at all I'd rather make friends But of course. You know,
2: sometimes it, it just doesn't happen
1: So, um, so Talking about Grim Reaper uh, Moving on Um, The the Fear No Evil album is recorded, I assume, in 84, and that's put out in 85, right? Yep. And uh, on that album, I just wanted to note, um, Lee Harris had left the band, who was the drummer... Uh, on See You in Hell And uh, was replaced by Mark Simon uh, for, yes. for for the uh, the new album For Fear No Evil I just wanted to um, note that quickly Because when you listen to the two albums And the two drumming styles All due respect to Lee Harris But he sounds like more of your conventional Rock and roll hard rock drummer Whereas Mark Simon seemed a little bit more uh, Updated and like modernized To the time And to what was like uh, your, your competitive um, metal music at that time With like the double bass and things like that Is that all fair to say? Yes,
2: uh-huh. yes, it is. it is. And and to be perfectly honest with you, that was a, a record company intervention. Mm-hmm. They saw stuff that we didn't. They heard stuff that we didn't. And it was like that was the worst day uh, when we had to let Lee go that I've ever ever had in a band. It was it was fucking awful it really was um, and then I hadn't seen Lee for 15 years with the advent of Facebook there you go and I, I've now we're in regular uh, contact as we are uh, Dave Wanklin the original bass player uh, Dave was here last Monday at my place Catching up and stuff, um, and I've got a, a big birthday bash coming up in August as well. And and uh, Lee and Dave are coming to that, so that's really cool. Um, yes, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's an, a nice thing, you know. We've stayed in touch all the time, even though you've had problems and all the rest of it. You know, I've stayed stayed friends with them because why wouldn't you? You know, they they were great.
0: Yeah,
1: friends oh, are important. Great, guy. You know? uh, absolutely, and that's great to hear. Um yeah I mean that kind of speaks to what, what we were talking about a little bit before about what a big commercial machine uh, heavy metal was and how yeah. how the record labels were so much more involved in creative control and decisions that the bands might have more control over in this in this era
2: yeah yeah exactly I, I think that's right and and with um, uh, with this era uh, the record labels are not as strong um, bands are not as dumb either you know they know that 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 they're on a limited access type of thing with these labels now and so nobody's gonna mess with each other you know from from also from from the point of of, uh legalities you know you used to sign a contract with a label it was 30 to 40 pages long (laughs) um uh, now it's like three pages if you're lucky you know, yeah, like. So yeah. it's it's there's a whole big difference, you know, because your bands taking labels to 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 court and stuff. Just you know, you don't need that aggro. So uh, um, that's why it's all done. It's very simple. It's laid out in English instead of wherefores and and all that sort of stuff, you know. And uh, I've got a, a really good friend uh, that's uh, a lawyer. And he said, yeah, all this stuff, this therefore and what for and all the rest of it, he said, all that does is like loop the whole question back around again. You know? And I'm like, oh, okay, so this doesn't need to be, no, this doesn't need, no. So, you know, that's, and that's why, you know, contracts are, are a lot smaller these days, you know, because there's no need for any of that rubbish. So, uh that's another good thing, yeah, and saves paper, of course.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I I, th- I think fans, maybe um, metal fans and the metal culture, has has become a little bit more uh, discerning. Like, like I feel like heavy metal fans can tell when an artist is disingenuous nowadays, and maybe doing something just for commercial value as opposed to you know uh, truly inspired. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that entirely. Yes. Um. So so fear no evil, uh, comes out. I want to talk about the Fear No Evil music video. That's probably my favorite of your music videos. Um, yes. re- really over-the-top, kind of post-apocalyptic, Mad Max. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's
2: exactly what they went for. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, well, fortunately, we didn't have anything to do with that. We just turned up on the site, um, <laughs> which was uh, the, the water scenes with the, the big um, amphibious truck. That was done at a place called Thorpe Park. And that now is one of the biggest um, fun parks in the country. (laughs) It was freezing cold. I think it was done in sort of like November time. Uh, We were in aircraft hangars. They got some aircraft hangars with World War One aircraft, biplanes and all that. And we were stripped down to our underpants. And then they were be using paint rollers to, to put mud on us and all that sort of <laughs> stuff to make us up to look like, you know, we we'd not had a bath in or, or a shower in, uh, you know, months. And uh, all in the freezing cold. God, and that, that sticks out to me more than anything. But yeah, and then they, they, they tank us around in this amphibious vehicle uh, all over the lakes that are there. Um, and shot all that stuff and then the following day we went to the indoor shops which was a um, I don't know how old the th- thing was but it was a, a few hundred year old barn and uh, I mean that, that was a, a bone of contention to start off with so they had to insure it for a million pounds with all the uh, and, and going back in the 80s that was a lot of money. That's uh, crazy. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah that all that was done and You know, there was uh, there was a lot of money spent on that one. To be fair, Um, because we had extras in, obviously, and then the uh, the wolf. He was a a bodybuilder. Had him in, and uh, yeah, it was that was a good a good couple of days actually. That was a lot of fun.
1: Uh, yeah, amazing video. A real heavy metal, like uh, a true metal video. I mean, you yeah. you 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 guys come in, you you free the metalheads, you fight the bad guy off with a guitar solo. Uh, yeah, it, the the whole thing. Were the extras actual like metalhead kids from the area, or just like regular your, your average extras? I think they were
2: just average extras. I I, I think. I think some of them were musical, but not not heavy metal. I don't think many of them were into heavy metal. They were just directed on what to do, you know. But uh, it was a good it was good fun. That was definitely. <laughs>
1: so, with uh, the Fear No Evil album, um, you I assume you guys go on a touring cycle again. What's different this time? Is it elevated status, bigger shows, new countries?
2: Yep, they were well. Actually, at that time, we uh, and up to the time when the band broke up, we had only toured in the states. We hadn't played anywhere else in the in the world at all. Wow. Um, so yes, in the states, it was from you know clubs to then theatres and all that sort of stuff. That that sort of size place. So it was a a lot bigger. Um, we did the Hell on Wheels tour. Uh, for that album and that was with Halloween and Armad Saint um, and uh, I'm still good friends with Armad Saint it's funny actually I was in I was in Brazil uh, a couple of years ago and they were touring and I met up with them at, at the show that we did in uh, sorry the show they did in Sao Paulo uh, still still the same old nice guys it was cool but, yeah, uh, so that's what we did with that. Um, and that was an insane tour as well. You know, three heavy metal bands, all the chicks under the sun, you know. <laughs> it was, uh, it, that was definitely debauchery. But, um, yeah, it was good. That was, that was yeah, it was really good fun. Um, it's always been good fun. There's never a time where, um, you know, you're you, you just ball aching to get home. So, uh, yeah, it was always good.
1: Uh, okay, and um, going... Uh, going further, you guys do Rock You To Hell the, yeah. um, Was there Any trouble with the label going Into that album or does it start more uh, After that
2: It was actually because we Recorded the album with, um, with Ebony to start off with And he'd, he'd Built a brand new studio That he built with Our Money Which, which we didn't realize at that time and uh, then we found out, and it was like, right, okay, you've got to put this right. You know, you owe us money. Anyway, uh, he took us to court or, or filed a lawsuit against us. RCA didn't want to know uh, and dropped us because of that. Um, and he tied us up from working for quite some time as well through this. In fact, in fact, that was the demise of Grim Reaper because we couldn't work anymore. Uh, he, he put... a. Uh, Um, A cease and desist Whatever you might call it I don't know what it was called But he did that to us And um, And Stops working Nicely Wow
1: What an asshole So Awful So three albums in uh, Popular band You guys had uh, I I, I remember watching a very um, uh, A live performance on Headbangers Ball MTV Uh, You know you, You guys are a popular band With a following that you've built over three albums and um, you know several years of the '80s, and just this this guy files this uh, stop work, and that's it. There's there's nothing you guys can do. Yep.
2: Nope. Absolutely wow. nothing. And it took well because we didn't have any money um, and all the rest of it. And I still haven't been paid anything by RCA at all. Right. I'm fighting that with them at the moment with with lawyers. Wow. Um, so we, we had no money, so we couldn't, we couldn't fight it. And then uh, I, I mentioned earlier, I got, uh, I got a, fr- uh, a friend uh, that's a lawyer. He sorted all that out for me and basically got me out of this, this lawsuit, which wasn't ever going to be um, continued because Ebony Records uh, went bust. And uh, so that wasn't going to happen either but it had to be resolved so it was resolved and then i started on other projects after that so uh, yeah it was a it was a shit time and uh uh and that's just one of the things that the music industry can do to you um, unfortunately we would had it done to us
1: yeah um sad, sad to hear that uh and to, and to know that but I do have to say, you really didn't let it bring you down. You you didn't waste any time at all because you
0: <laughs>
2: is that on your end? Hear that? <laughs>
1: that's
2: a, That's the ice cream man. Oh, great! <laughs> and my and my dog is a, is an Alaskan Malamute, <laughs> and she and when he comes round, she starts howling.
1: I don't blame her. That, I mean, yeah, that's yeah, adorable. Sorry about that. All good. <laughs> we have ice cream trucks and dogs right here in the States, yeah, too, so I totally understand. I was just, yeah. I'm was very paranoid about audio problems, as you can understand. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, as I was saying, you don't really waste any time because you pop up uh, as early as 1988 on the Shellshock EP singing for the English band Onslaught. That's right, yeah.
2: They... they... Uh, they were with uh, London Records, which is part of PolyGram, and they'd done their album with Stefan Galfas, and the the label rejected it because they were going to go into it. They were going into a different, um, a different uh, style, and Cy si Keeler, unfortunately, just couldn't do the, the he couldn't do the job. And I feel so. I, I like Cy, si, I've got I, I'm friends with Cy, si, but. Um, he uh, he got kicked out of the band by the band and the, the record label and obviously they'd been watching uh, Oslo's management had been watching what was going on with me and then I got a phone call out of the blue can you, you know, would you be interested in singing for us you know, and uh, it was for a wage and all the rest of it so I was like yeah I'm interested uh, and then they sent me some of the songs without the vocals on, and uh, I went into my garage and re and recorded my vocals, my, my version of the vocals, onto a four track machine. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was my interview. Great. Uh, uh, so I did that, and uh, they loved it. And then I think within two or three weeks, I was in the States with Stefan Galphus in um, Atlantic Studios, re recording the album.
1: Mhm. Uh, and uh, you, yeah, you, you. Put, I just wanted briefly for the listeners um, pause to say, this is this is generally speaking more of an extreme metal, death metal, thrash metal, black metal oriented podcast. Um, and I think the the listeners, uh, obviously, a lot of people know Grim Reaper, but if you're not familiar with Onslaught, you might want to uh, check out this "In Search of Sanity" album that Steve did with Onslaught in uh, 1988, if I'm not mistaken, or '89 actually. Um, yeah, it was it, yeah, really, really good thrash metal. Um, re- really good extreme thrash metal, and maybe just um, more of a crunchy, less melodic uh, presenta- presentation for your vocals than Grim Reaper was. It's it's a, a different um, different vibe, you know. Yes,
2: it definitely is. Yeah, um, it's more on that because because what they were doing before was was definitely death metal. And uh, they they up their game because they they wanted a bit of, of the um, Metallica type stuff, and so did the label. To be fair, mm-hmm. and um, they uh, and that's what we did. And 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 it's still to this day their best selling album, so that that tells you something. But it it, it did, it, and it wasn't ever going to last very long because there was just too much going on internally with the band and the label um, and there, there, there's a, a 14 minute ballad type thing on the on the album uh, welcome to dying by far the band's most popular song the label wanted to put it out as a single the uh, uh, even my local radio station who had an hour slot was going to play it but he got inundated by by fans to say we want it we want it all the whole show the whole show so he was going to play it four times on his show with no <laughs> other music yeah wow. so that tells you how popular it could be uh, the the band uh, london records had come up with a bunch of um uh, caricatures of the band which were great wanted to use that on the sleeve uh, well, now, bearing in mind, it wasn't the album sleeve. This was just the sleeve for this, the, the uh, single. Band didn't want to do it. And I, and I was just like, look, guys, you know, you've got to do this. They're, they're, they will get so far behind this, this single. I'm looking at uh, number one because it was just after Christmas. And, and if you release an album and do around 40,000 copies, it'll go to number one without any shadow of a doubt. Uh, but no, they decided no, we're not doing that, and uh, uh, and the record company lost interest, and we did I think 1500 copies, so you know that was the end of of my stint with with onslaught because I thought that was that was just ridiculous. When you've got a, a label that that wants to pile money into you to make you the next Metallica, maybe it would have worked. I don't know. But um, (laughs) you know, you go with it. You go with it, you know, and and you take it with both hands and you grab hold it and you and you, you know, you nurture it. But no, so and that was it. Then that was the last thing they ever did. For I left and they were going to do another tour. Another singer stepped in, and uh, uh, the label let them go very shortly after that. So you know, it just shows you if you don't, you know, if you're not prepared to to um, ebb and flow with stuff. You're you're led up in in the shit at the end of the day, and that's exactly what happened.
1: Yeah, sometimes you have to be able to uh, to navigate. Um, you know these type of situations. Uh, yeah, you know. When, yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah.
2: If my label said, "Well, look, you know, can you do a, a, a cover version of so and so?" and and I'm like, "What do you want to do with it?" Uh, well, we It will project the band in a better way. I'll do it. You know, I'm not, and, and to be fair, it's not it's not these days uh, where you will be earning millions from that because that ain't going to happen at all. You know? So uh, it's just a an aid to help the label. Right? Mm-hmm.
1: Um,
2: if they ask you for it, it's, it's for a specific reason, you know. And uh, yeah, I did think that uh, Onslaught sort of made a few bad choices in that
1: respect. Um, well, at, at least we, we have that album. And also, uh, just skipping ahead, there's another highly recommended album for our listeners, which is the album Evil Beyond Belief, recorded by The Sanity Days. Uh, yes. It came out in 2015, and that's yeah. actually a band that features you... Um, Steve Grice, who was the longtime drummer yep. of Onslaught, and several, uh, or well, Jace Stallard and Alan Jordan, who are also ex-Onslaught members from different eras of the band, and you guys came together and, um, under the name The Sanity Days, recorded the Evil Beyond Belief album, which is, again, a really highly recommended, I guess you could say thrash if we're going to box it in, but I, 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 yes. I feel like it's influenced almost by your more modern, extreme death and black metal at times. Um, yeah, and, I
2: think so. I think that's... Yeah, I think you're right. That, that sounds uh, uh, like a really good description, and and yeah, it was a fantastic. I really enjoyed doing that with the guys as well. Although I was busy doing a re, the the, uh, the last Reaper album as well at the same time, so it was it was uh, a bit manic. But uh, they uh, yeah, they it it was well received. It didn't sell as many as we thought it was going to do because Al Al Jordan, the guitarist, he contracted uh, cancer, uh, cancer of the bladder, and uh, it knocked him for six. And and I don't think he's picked up a guitar since then either. So uh, that was a, a long time ago. I have spoken to Al on numerous occasions, and he, you know, he's like, "No, I still haven't picked one up. Still haven't picked one up." Let's, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, um, It's a shame, that is, because I think that would have done a decent amount of
1: stuff, too. Uh, Well, one one thing it did do, was it the the 7,000 tons of metal cruise? Is that the cruise? It was one of those cruises that you performed at, right, with that band?
2: That's no, no, no. We did that. Uh, I did that with Grim Reaper, the 70,000 tons of metal tour. Oh, okay. uh, well, oh. to t- cruise.
1: Okay, but if I'm if I'm not mistaken, isn't there a story where you were uh booked on the same bill as the current onslaught lineup and there was um uh some sort of exchange? No, no, not at all. Uh,
2: uh, oh, they were on the 70,000 tons of metal tour, yes, yes, but they were definitely on that, but no, no. <laughs> they called me, actually. Well, no, they messaged me to start off with Jeff, the bass player did, uh-huh. to say, you know, look, we're playing on, on the same boat, you know, would you come up and do some songs for us? And, and uh, I was just like, okay, you're going to have it both barreled. With all the shit that I had to put up with, from you mouthing off about the, the fact that you didn't like the Sanity days doing the old uh, uh, In Search of Sanity album, you know and and the public rubbish that you said and and put us through no way would i ever you know play with you again at all i don't want to and uh, i saw and not only that how would you how would you feel if if like you know this singer that came along and took your job in the first place to do this in search of sanity albums come on stage and did the same thing you know i'm like what are you like? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> anyway, yeah. no, we didn't. There was no, there was no exchange. That was it, you know, in its entirety. Uh, I still spoke to Cy, uh, on the on the boat and Jeff as well. To be fair, you know, I didn't, I didn't leave it in a way that, you know, it created enemies because what's the point? You know, life's too short. Uh, but um, yeah, it was just like, no, you, I'm not going to do that for you. No, not okay. at all. And uh, but we. Uh, Grim Reaper played it and uh, we had really fantastic shows two shows and they were brilliant they were absolutely fantastic so uh, yeah there was one I think it was about two and a half thousand seats in, in this one um, I want to say arena it's not arena it's a theatre and uh, we filled it up the first the first time we played there and then the second one was a lot smaller uh, but we packed that place out as well and it was a great it was a we had a fantastic time it was really nice
1: excellent excellent yeah i uh, didn't mean to misrepresent that that i knew there was no no no, no that's some, okay uh, no it's
2: okay because sometimes yeah. things get bent out of shape and you know
1: and, and there's no need
2: to bend that one out of shape because it, <laughs> it was just like the the, the 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 honest, you know, I've just given you an honest answer and uh-huh. if you ask Jeff at some point, point, the bass player he'll tell you the same thing, that's exactly what I said and, uh, you know, so um, but yeah, so I didn't play with him.
1: Okay, uh, fair enough understandable um, and going back into your, your history a little bit um, after that uh after you leave onslaught or, or um you know the, the onslaught situation uh is, is you know happens and, and you're no longer with yeah. onslaught it seems like very quickly you form lion's heart is that correct yes
2: yeah well, it was i actually started speaking to uh, the, the bass player and uh, guitarist said they're identical twins I started speaking to them bef- whilst I was still in onslaught and said you know like, you obviously want to do some stuff with me. This is what I'd like to do. You know, I'd like to, to, to make it, um, it, it. I'll. I wanted to do British blues-based rock, mm-hmm. a bit like White Snake. Yes. And uh, and so that's what we did. Um, but it was after I left them, after I left Onslaught, um, that I got in touch and said, "Right, okay, I'm free now. Let's do it." So we did that, and uh, we. We did the album and i took it to london records because i was still signed to them at the time um and they said no so uh we took it who do we who picked it up it was music for nations in the uk it was quite a large um independent then and uh yeah they picked it up and stuck with me for another couple of what two albums actually so i did three albums uh, under license uh, under um music for nations with lines
1: up yeah yeah, yeah you, it was you, good. you have the the self-titled album in 92 uh yeah. 94 uh pride intact and um yeah. in 98 the under fire album yeah uh, and then in 04 there was kind of a comeback with abyss
2: yes it was yeah
1: um Into the Abyss it was uh, and that was with
2: well the guitarist especially is the guitarist that I've got with me now for Steve Grimmick's Grim Reaper uh, Ian Nash Um, we did do that album we did that because somebody told us that the Japanese would be very very interested in doing it well in actual fact, we spent all this money because we weren't signed we spent a lot of money making it and apparently this company wasn't interested in the first place so so you know we get stung again but um uh japan is definitely on the cards for uh grim reaper so uh yeah i'm looking forward to that one
1: well i understand that lion's heart was very big in japan during the 90s <laughs> it was actually yeah um uh
2: i remember i was out there uh, the day it was released and uh, Tets maru the the a&r guy from um I can't remember the name of the label, Uh, it won't come to me, anyway, uh, he he picked me up in a cab in the morning to go and do some interviews and uh, he said, Steve, if you release an album in Japan and you do 15,000 copies, it's considered a success. I was like, oh, well, that's great. You know, it'd be great to, to do that amount. He said, well, we did that in the first 10 minutes this morning. And I was like, what? You've got to be kidding me. He said, no, by the time we finished this thing, we'd have done eighty, ninety thousand 90,000 in the first couple of days. Wow. And it rocketed us right to, to the number one spot in the Japanese charts, which is unheard of wow. for, for a non-Japanese band. And... uh yeah, and then all of a sudden I couldn't go anywhere I couldn't walk out in the streets <laughs> couldn't do anything <laughs> it was, it was uh, something else actually that was yeah, and every, because we rode on the bullet train to go here there and everywhere to, to do interviews and um, they, uh, there would always be loads of fans and that waiting and, uh, and I did a, a sign in session in a little uh, record store in uh, Tokyo and uh, there was, it was in a, a small shopping mall, and uh, I was there for four hours signing stuff. It was, it, the whole place got taken over by Japanese fans. It was unbelievable. But yeah, yeah, it was great. That was, wow. that was good. Yeah, we did a, a subsequent tour on top of that. So
1: yeah, it was all good. Was that your first experience in, in Japan? Because you mentioned that Grim Reaper hadn't had, had. Had you been to Japan with Onslaught or anything like that? Or
2: no, that, my, it was that was the first one. Wow, it was, uh, yeah, it was it was something else too. You know, it was like all of a sudden you were elevated to where you where you really want to be, but uh as far as popularity is concerned it was it was uh that's where you want to be you know and it was it was fantastic i love the japanese people i'm still friends with a a few of those two and uh yeah i've got a contact there who wants to take us out for a few shows so but what i'm looking to do is to is to try and do australia as well at the same time so
1: excellent um much like we talked about uh, with Grim Reaper coming to the United States, what what was it like with Lionsar going to Japan for the first time, and what was the metal scene and the general cultural differences uh, like, and how did that strike you at the time?
2: Um, well, that, I, I didn't expect what happened to us at all, um, and like I say, you know, we we couldn't walk out in the streets without being recognised. I mean, I, I remember we had to uh, to do two TV shows almost at the same time. So two guys went and did the uh, one show and I did another, but I, I, they dropped us off in a cab at the first one and I had to walk on to, a ne- to the next one. And I was just inundated with kids, you know, and you just, you don't expect it. And and one thing that is really eerie and you you, you go to, to the place, That you're playing, and you know, you sat in the dressing room, and bearing in mind, you're on the side of the stage, and you know that the doors have been open for half an hour, and you hear nothing. They stand in total silence. And then when you're on, they go absolutely apeshit. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, it is, yeah. It's just like, oh, I'm going to have to work for this one tonight. But as soon as you walked on, it was just like something else. But yeah, to- they stand in, in total silence. <laughs>
1: Reserving the energy for-, for the show. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think it. so. I
2: think you're right, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so uh, in the 90s, um, with Lion's Heart, is this like an older, wiser, more mature Steve Grimmett? Or is this still sex, drugs, and rock and roll?
2: No, it's much more um, uh, a maturer me. Uh, I, I know what I want, and I know not exactly how to get it, but, um, you know, I'm not basically doing anything for nothing anymore, you yeah, know, okay. uh, and uh, started to take control of what I was doing rather than being led the merry dance, you know. So, yeah, it was... Uh, yeah, it, 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 I always reflect on on stuff that I've done there having a good time you know and even now you know I'll tell you that because we did you know I've always I've never sat in my hotel room thinking I'd rather be home or I'd rather be doing this you know I'm there because I really want to be uh, uh, because it's good fun you know and, and I earn a living at it well now I do but you know it's um, it's uh, it's a great job.
1: Absolutely, um, and uh, you've—you've—you uh, know—you've got such a wealth of material. I want to get into the two thousands a little bit and cover some of the albums you've released in the 2000s and forward huh. um, but as we said Lion's, Lions Heart uh, was no slouches you put out the four albums and as you said Ian yeah. Nash uh, played guitar on the uh, It's Into the Abyss the 2004 yeah. Lion, yeah. Lion's Heart album and Ian yeah. Nash ends up becoming um, your guitarist for the Reformed Grim Reaper lineup in 2006 right? Yeah So yeah. so do you want to talk a little bit I mean um, well alright 2006, you have the Reformed Grim Reaper lineup, and 2007, you release your solo album, Steve Grimmett's Personal Crisis album. Yep, uh, yeah. Do you want to just talk about that period of time and how you go from the Lion's Heart mode into reforming Grim Reaper and then recording Personal Crisis, which uh, Personal Crisis has, has some lineup members that you've used on other projects?
2: Yeah, it was uh, Pete Newdeck um, uh, and oh uh, was bass player oh I catch my mind's going I'll tell you um, yeah it was a different bass player uh, who who then joined us all of those guys joined us uh, for, for the early Steve Grimmett Grim Reaper um, was it uh, Mark Trail Martin Trail was on the uh, the last album that we did okay uh, or, or, uh, Walking in the Shadows Chaz Grimwaldi
1: Richard Walker Richard Walker. Okay,
2: that was that was the guy I was trying to think of. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. So that was a, a good lineup, great players, um, but he didn't. It, that didn't last. I mean, it, well, it wasn't meant to be a, a, a band thing anyway, because uh, we. I think we we did a few dates in the UK, um, but uh, uh, Richie had problems at home uh, he couldn't do it anymore pete newdeck went his own way and uh, ian and i then got uh, we were getting uh, tour offers from all over the place and one of them was south america uh, Chaz had joined us then chas grimaldi he's he's from the us but he was over here with his family working um and uh, we were asked to do south america had no drummer at the time so we um we got in a guy called paul white great drummer um and we did that session he came out to the states with us as well um but eventually that that melted down um nothing too too bad but was um we got it uh, we got in ian and i got in uh, a new rhythm section uh, Julian Hill on bass and um mark i nearly said mark simon then mark pulling on drums who we've known for years um and just hello that what do you think we we could do you could come out to the states with us do a tour with us and uh, see if you like it and if you like it then we'll we'll do an album and do that you know so that's what we've done uh we did two tours last year uh, no this year sorry uh, did two tours two small tours and now we've got another one coming up which starts at the end of August uh, into um, into the middle of September yes. so uh, that'll be our last tour then on that visa <laughs>
1: <laughs> well we're gonna uh, yeah we're gonna have this episode out before then uh, and try to um, promote that on social media and wa- watch out Steve we might even come out to the New York show if, if you're unlucky Oh right, okay, cool. <laughs> well, that's we, where
2: you can buy me a beer? Yeah, we we definitely
1: owe you a pint or two. <laughs> okay, yeah, cool. <laughs> uh, but um, all right, so so I guess it's fair to say you record this this uh, personal crisis, the Steve Grimmett solo album, uh, yeah. uh, and then because of maybe some some issues with personnel not being able to commit to it, and there being a demand for Grim Reaper, that's Grim Reaper gets back out there on the road, right?
2: Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, we got um, uh, well. We got asked to do Wacken, mm-hmm. uh, which is a major festival. Yes, yeah, so uh, and the to guy go- that got us involved in that, Jez Cox, I will name names, <laughs> who used to sing for um, uh, uh, Tigers Pantang mm-hmm. he got us out there on the the revised that it would be a Grim Reaper reunion, and I said no, it won't be. I said because it that's just never going to happen. Um, but he'd. And I said, look, I've got a new band that I want to, I want to get out there, and uh, but what we will do is do a few Grim Reaper songs, and uh, he didn't tell the organisers, so we arrived there, everything's still Grim Reaper, and it's not Grim Reaper, you know, and um, yeah, so that was a, I think we we ended up upsetting it, but it wasn't our fault, you know, the promoters and stuff, because we haven't been asked to go back there again, <laughs> but. Uh, that started everything off. Then uh, Keep It True Festival got in touch with us. You know, we want to do Grim Reaper. We're not worried about a uh, uh, reformation. Uh, just come out and do do the work. So we did that, and that was a, we had a fantastic show. Um, and uh, we've been doing stuff all over Europe since then. And for the so we've done Keep It True twice now. So uh, yeah, so it's a. Uh, in Europe, it's a very healthy um, uh, genre of music to be playing, you know, so it's quite good.
1: Uh, as I've been told, um, unfortunately, I live in the United States where uh, hip-hop and country music is a lot more uh, popular, You know, but I've, I've always heard that in Europe, metal is a lot more of a respected art form.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, it is everywhere, really, apart from the UK and obviously the States. <laughs> but I mean, we, do, we, do, we do okay in the States. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, we do, we do definitely do okay. And it's not just the old boys turning up. It's uh, a wealth of, of uh, youngsters, you know, teenagers, and then 20, 30, 40, and up to our age, or up to my age, uh, that turn up to see you. So that's really cool. Uh, yeah. and like uh, it's kind of different in South America it's all youngsters it's all teenagers and 20 year olds um, and uh, I think Australia would be the same and so would so would Japan I think Japan will probably be a mixture of ages but uh, yeah yeah I'd do it anyway <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah I think metal is at a really healthy point right now worldwide it is, um, yeah, it is definitely yeah definitely and so, and it, you, you,
2: the, the interaction that I get a lot on um, uh, on, the, on the internet tells me that you
1: know. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you guys come back with Steve Grimmett's Grim Reaper. You record yeah. the 2011 Alive and Kicking EP. And, oh, do you like that one? It's the Wolf. Yeah. And, and the uh, and the 2016 Walking in the Shadows. Album. Yes. Um. Now I don't I don't want to uh, overlook this one particular album that we kind of skipped though that comes out before that. I assume that maybe you met the gentlemen in Fargo, North Dakota, who were members of the bands Dozer and Sons of Poseidon while you yep. were on the road with Grim Reaper in the early no, 2000s? No, I
2: wasn't. I was on I was on holiday. Okay. Uh, my uh, my ex wife was from the same area as Steve uh, Steve Stein, okay. and uh, we. Uh, I said, it's just such a shame that you're not doing anything, you know. And he said, "Well, all I do is play in Dozer, and I and and I do, um, you know, I teach kids. And uh, it was such a shame, and, I, and I'm so pleased with Steve because he's he's become uh, one of those very talked about um, guitar virtuosos now, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm very pleased about that." Um, but yeah we I, I said to him look do you want to do an album i said i'd love to do one with you so uh, we started on that straight away and uh came up with the grimstein album and I, and uh, and that is part of my name you know so and obviously steves and um yeah, that was. I really enjoyed doing that album. In fact, we've got another one virtually in the can. So um, my label is crying out to get hold of that. And I said, well, you know, when everything else is finished, you can we can do that. And I'll probably get Steve to come over and we'll just record it in my studio and get it done.
1: Excellent. Yeah, because I I don't want to overlook uh, or or let some of your other albums and projects become overshadowed by your work in Grim Reaper in the context <laughs> of this interview. Um, no,
2: no, 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 not at all. No, and it, it's a good album, and I enjoyed doing it. You know, yeah, yeah. Although, absolutely. although we were sharing files across the ocean, it was, um, you know, because we, we never actually got into the studio at all together. Um, uh, so that was that was something. Mm-hmm. But I think this time I'll have Steve over, over here, and uh, we'll record. Uh, stuff in my studio, well, we've called the album, I'd say we've got, I think we've got nine songs done, so maybe a couple more, and, and uh, we'll we'll be, uh, I, I, there was one thing, I, I found it extremely easy to write with Steve, and, uh, and and that's why we've got another one in the can, it's been in the can for a long time, but we've got one, because um, I found it so easy to write with him, but yeah. Um, yeah, so that's another on the bucket list, and uh, and obviously we have another one. I think it's coming out at the end of August, in time with our tour, to come out there.
1: Excellent. Um, yeah, because I, I, you know, I just wanted to bring those albums up because it it almost yeah. reminds me. There's a parallel. We interviewed on the show uh, several weeks ago a death metal singer named Maddie Way who is very accomplished and he sang for a lot of different projects and bands and kind of one-off album releases and studio projects over the years. And I I said his approach almost seems like, um, uh, like, like a vocalist who spread himself out amongst a lot of different producers and musicians. Uh, yeah. so, so you hear his voice in a lot of different in the context of many different platforms. There's a parallel, I think, there to be made about you and your discography because people can go back. Like I've been saying, I've been trying to build a case for you know going back and listening to onslaught to the Grimstein yeah. album, the Personal Crisis solo album, yeah. all of these things to to um to like maybe build uh to to like enhance the the Steve Grimmett experience, so to speak.
2: Yeah, I mean that's that's something that I'm thinking about doing as well. You know, doing. Uh, a tour with uh, a completely new band uh, especially to do Steve Grimmett you know so there'll they'll be um, some Grimstein I guess some some Reaper and then uh, some of my uh, personal crisis and some of the Lion's Heart stuff and, and probably do like a world tour with that you know but do it all in one hit sort of thing, you
1: know, so yeah, I'll be away yeah. for months, and uh, but try and do that. Okay, just get somebody to feed the dog, okay? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> no, that sounds great, Um, and you know, again, like I said, I've just been trying to make the case for uh, people to check out other projects of yours that maybe they're not as familiar with as Grim Reaper, and yeah. speaking of Grim Reaper, like we said, the 2016 Walking in the Shadows album, can you tell us a little bit about... Um, what that was like—that experience—going back and do was it like uh, intimidating to go back and, and do another Grim Reaper album, or like how did it feel? No, it wasn't actually. No, uh, it was—it was good. It was
2: uh, Ian and I spent a, a fair amount of time working on what we wanted to do with this album. You know, was it to be another Grim Reaper album, or was it to be? Steve Grimmett's Grim Reaper. So we decided Steve Grimmett's Grim Reaper, and it would sound like old Grim Reaper, and uh, and I think we successfully managed to do that. Um, it went down well. I have not seen one bad review for that album, and mm. and it's all had rave reviews. Um, so I think we did the right thing, and uh, you know, uh, time. Well, no, time, time has told. It was very popular. So, yeah, it was good. Um, and Ian and
1: I earned money. <laughs> <laughs> That's always nice and heavy metal, but not guaranteed. It is, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And you guys toured for, for that album? Yes, we did. Uh, we toured. Um, well, we t-
2: <laughs> we did some touring. I, I, I'm sure we did the States. In fact, I know we did the States. Yeah. Um, I but I had a fill-in guitarist to do that um, and uh, we did well yeah then we did um, uh, South America and that's when I lost my leg and uh, so everything ground to a major halt so uh, that was a pain in the ass but um, yeah it was uh, we didn't really fully tour that album we certainly didn't tour it in in the, uh, europe but uh, we have done quite a number of uh, festivals and stuff so it has made its way out there but mm-hmm. uh, yeah that was that was all down to me losing my leg in uh, in uh, south america is why we didn't tour the album as much as we should
1: have done yeah that that's uh what i was getting at and what i was um building up to was that so you put out the album walking in the shadows uh the big comeback grim reaper album which is received well uh, and i think rightfully so by fans you begin touring the united states you move down to south america then uh in ecuador um could you just maybe take us i know it's been documented very well on social media uh but maybe just briefly sum up um what what happened in ecuador
2: well, I before I left on that tour, for some time I'd had a, a diabetic ulcer on the bottom of my foot. Um, by the time we went out to tour in South America, it looked like it had healed up, and the hospital were giving me the thumbs up too, uh, but uh, I, I must have done something to it, I don't know what, but our, the first part of the tour was in Mexico. Um, we were there for 10 days, and obviously, the, the, well, the water's terrible out there, and that's where I picked up the infection, because uh, once we'd left Mexico, we went to Quito in um, Ecuador, and that's when I started really getting ill, um, and I could hardly walk and stuff like that.
0: And you were doing shows, like, along the way the whole time, while you are oh, yeah, yeah, very yeah, yeah, under yeah. the weather.
2: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and I did, but I didn't know. I was shivering like crazy, like really bad shivers. And now I know that's a sign of sepsis. So, um, you know, obviously my, my body was being was being poisoned, and and literally I was dying. I <laughs> I didn't know. And then we got to Guayaquil, and uh, uh, I was majorly unwell. So I got a doctor to come to the hotel. And he he bandaged up my foot properly and uh, uh, shot me full of drugs so I could go and do the show. And um, basically, I got on stage, and within four numbers, I had to sit down and finish off the to, to finish off the the um, uh, set. And then we got a uh, an encore, so went <laughs> the encore, oh. which I, I managed to stand up on. But then one thing, uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this yet in this interview, is the fact that wherever we play, we always look after the fans. After the show, we're going towel down, maybe change t-shirt, come out and take pictures and sign stuff with the fans. Always do that. Always, always. And Guayaquil was no exception. Um, But we had to, uh, because I think they'd all stayed for that. (laughs) And... uh, they kept letting them out of the auditorium into our dressing room area, and they were signing stuff, taking photographs. And the doctor was—he actually stayed, and he was checking his watch and everything. And I could see that out of the corner of my eye. And he was like, "Okay, an hour—that's enough. You're going to the hospital." So uh, okay, I "Okay," gave him, went to the hospital, and that's all. When it went—it went, uh, it, it went uh, shit-shaped, really. Um, I got in and. Uh, it was just something else. It, it, it was, it was, it looked like a demilitarized zone inside the hospital, but it was clean, you know. So I felt confident that I was going to be looked after. Got taken up into the pensioner's ward, <laughs> and uh, that's when the doctor, she was a lady doctor to start off with, they basically. Cut my foot to, to pieces in an operation oh. to try and get rid of the, the
1: problem. Uh, just, uh, just quickly, when you say pensioners' ward, could you just could you what what exactly does that mean? Because <laughs> I was old. <laughs> oh, okay, so it's kind of like like for, for elderly people or something. Oh
2: yeah 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 okay. yeah yeah. Although there wasn't all elderly people in there. I don't I don't get it.
1: But. Well, it might be elderly uh, in terms of what elderly means to that, that country or that area. It may do. It
2: may do. I wasn't insulted.
1: Uh-huh. No, okay. I just, I don't know if uh, a lot of people know that term pensioner, but go go yeah. on, not to interrupt. Right. Yeah. You're not, so you're, yeah. you're in the ward and they're cutting up Yeah, your foot. in
2: the ward. And uh, basically this, this woman doctor cut my foot to shreds and literally to shreds. Um, and then five days took all the uh, dressings off and... Uh, I looked at my foot and I thought, do you know what, I do not want that on the end of my leg anymore. It looked horrible. And um, they decided then to cut me above, uh, below me uh, and amputate. And um, I got taken into the, uh, into the theater and just given an epidural. So I was awake for the operation. So I didn't feel any pain but I could hear them soaring through my bones, which I could tell you was not pleasant. Wow. And, uh, and then five days after that, well, I nearly got home as well, but the airline stopped me from, from traveling because I'd only had the operation done a few days before. And they don't. They, they insist on ten days, and that's any airline apparently. So uh, I had to go back to the
1: hospital. Oh god! And, so you were all ready to yeah. go home, and then I was t- ready to go home. Yeah, oh. three hundred
2: fans had turned up as well to see me off, and oh. it was like, oh no. But anyway, uh, they uh, I started. They they turned me over in the bed, and uh, my my stump hurt like hell so they took the dressing off and basically I'd got necrosis in the cut which is a flesh eating disease and uh, so uh, I had another doctor then come and see me and he, he said I'm going to have to take you above knee I was like fine, ok, no problem so uh, it, was, it was a little bit of a relief really because my grandfather died of um, gangrene he was a diabetic and he had his toe. Uh, nipped by a, a chiropodist and uh, he died of, of that infection. Wow. Uh, and when you're diabetic, you cannot uh, have uh, an amputation because it spreads instantly to the next bit, you know, to the next part of your body. So uh, that's what I was worried about. I was, I was then thinking, about, do you know what? I'm gonna die. And um, Went in again into the theatre and they did same thing, put put, uh, giving an epidural and and started sawing away where the femur bone is quite big, and uh, it's all hand saws as well. It's not bone saws. Well, they're bone sores but it's they're not electronic. They're they're like you know a push me pull you job. You know. Wow. goodness. But, and uh, you know and I'm I'm digging deep as well because it's all going on and I'm like shit you know I've got to get through this I've got to get through this <laughs> and uh, they got the sore stuck in the bone twice and as it, like I say I didn't oh. feel it but it's just like you know it's going on and, and oh fuck I tell you the the will it took to get through that is unbelievable and I suffered with post-traumatic stress disorder You know, like the soldiers do when they come back from war, or some of them. And uh, I lost probably 80% of my hair. Um, I've been a bit of a mess since, really. Um, And that all sort of uh, came together. I lost my brother, um, my best mate, uh, in September of last year. And that, that brought everything to a head. You know, I've gone through all sorts of shit. Uh, mentally wise, you know, but I'm getting there. I'm getting over it all now, and uh, it is coming together. But uh, yeah, it was. Uh, oh, and then I had I had two operations after that. They they put a drain in the cut, um, and they knocked me out for both of those. <laughs> oh, <thank laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's like, why have you done that? The only reason that I can see, or the only difference that I could see, was. When I had the um, uh, epidural, I was only in uh, post-op for about 20 minutes. When I was knocked out, I was in there for two hours. So that's the only difference I can see. So I don't know. Um, but besides obviously the hearing your bones being sawn off, it's uh, it's you know I'd rather have been knocked out really. But hey ho. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> yeah. Well, so it was a bit of a nasty time, really. It was, it was a fantastic. And then, you know, being in, I spent seven weeks in hospital after all that. And uh, I had no entertainment at all. Um, nobody spoke English. Broken, but not, not fully. And I couldn't speak Spanish. Um, and the only thing I had was I had my phone and I could... Um, I had half an hour's internet a day. That's all you got on the freebie. Um, So I spent 15 minutes every day speaking to my family in rotation and then 15 minutes finding out what the hell I could do to get back up on stage. And uh, So I was looking at at, uh, different stuff, different uh, prosthetics and all that sort of stuff. Um, And then uh, that all changed. When I got back home to England, they, they sent me to a proper um because we have the the national health uh system here um and it's all done for nothing well you don't you pay into it with with your wages and stuff but um they uh, they they kindly gave me a leg for that uh with this with this uh, company in um in Oxford so uh yeah and that's and I'm still learning to walk would you believe you know I and mean, it's uh, it's what two and a half years now and i suppose two years since i've had the leg but i am still work, you know learning to walk um, and apparently that can take up to five years because if you if, if you are a soldier that's lost legs you get uh 24 7 care you know until you can do everything for yourself uh, you don't get that in the in the Private sector, you get shown how to walk, and then you're released. You know, and uh, so it's it's a question of you've got to go and learn how to do it yourself. Uh, I have fallen over so many times you wouldn't believe. I've fallen over st- on stage. I've fallen off the stage as well. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's all you know. It's all coming together.
1: I've I've managed to fall off stage with two working legs, so don't don't feel bad. Um, <laughs> Jesus, yeah. I, I just to bring a little levity uh, to the subject. With all due respect, I mean, I'm sorry yeah. for your troubles. What a story! Um, uh, amazing and amazing to me that you're still in the hospital recovering, and you're using half of your internet time a day to research how you can get back on stage. Like yeah. it's not even yeah. a, not even a question of if I'm, I'm going to get no. back on stage. It's how.
2: No, yeah, it's how. How can I deal with it? Amazing because because everything. As you know, everything. Actually, you probably don't because you haven't thought about it. But the, every uh, venue you play has stairs.
1: Yes, yes. And that's
2: one thing I struggle with. I can do it, but it's one step up and uh, up at a time, and one step down at a time. You know, I have to take them one at a time. Um, the leg that I've got, the, the uh, can deal with actually walking down the stairs uh, properly but it, it, my brain tells me I can't do that. <laughs> so so uh, I, it's all one at a time. But everywhere you play, and pretty, pretty much everywhere you go these days, it's all um, stairs. So you have to take that into consideration. Uh, but yeah, it was like, it was six months to the day. Uh, that I got home got my leg and got back up on stage <laughs> and uh, and that was something else I will tell you it was um, it was at the headbangers open air uh, in germany Whoa. and uh, i uh, it was a big show uh, i think uh, vince neal was on after us and uh, i got up on stage did most of the songs and then i th- the stage was in two Uh, two levels and I'd stayed on the top level and I thought right I'm gonna go out and see the fans because there was a big walkway out there as well and I got my, my wife was with me she helped me down the stairs and then I walked out onto the walkway and the fans got louder and louder and louder as they were cheering you know to see me get up there and do what I was doing that that made me cry and uh, and it but it also it made every bit of effort it took me to get up there
1: worthwhile <laughs> amazing i i think metalheads and the metal culture has a lot of respect uh it's been said many times i've heard even even from people in hip hop culture and things like that that heavy metal has more respect for our elders than other genres of music and i yeah. think um i think more so even in instances like this where where you've overcome something um, to retain your, your your status and to continue in yeah. heavy metal.
2: Um, yeah. Very I mean, I can't cool. run around stage like I used to, yeah. but I still get around the stage, <laughs> you know, because uh, the big thing for me was, was shaking hands with her fans, you know, if I can get close to them. And uh, that was one thing that, that I love doing, and I still can do that, but I can't run from one side of the stage to the other. Well, not
1: yet, anyway. Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> I love the attitude, man. <laughs> Great, man. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, so that so that kind of brings us up to date. Now, uh, you have a tour booked, as you mentioned before, coming over in late August, early September to the states with uh, Steve Grimmett's Grim Reaper, correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, I mean, is there any is there any uh, new recordings? You also mentioned that there's a new Grimstein album that's close to completion. Is there anything else that we should keep an eye out for? New releases, new music? Yes. Uh... We'll
2: be playing new music from the album, from, from the Steve Grimmons' Green Reaper album. And it's called At The Gates. Amazing. Um, it's, it's basically the, the, the story of, of me being in hospital, losing my getting It's not all of that, but it's, it's some of it. Um, about the, the turmoil uh, uh, and stuff I went through. So it's called At The Gates because I was fairly close to being at the gates, at the pearly gates. So yeah, that's what it's, uh, that's what it's titled for. Wow.
1: Uh, and uh, is, there, um, is there is that recorded yet? Yes, done. It's done and dusted.
2: Um, in fact, the record label gets it tomorrow. So, uh, What label is uh, that? It's uh, on uh, Dissonance again, okay. Dissonance Productions. It's uh, part of uh, Plastic Head Distribution in the UK.
1: Excellent, uh, excellent.
2: Yeah, so that's uh, I, I haven't got a release date yet, but we're hoping that we can get it out to tie in with, with this, uh, with, with this tour. So okay. I'm, I'm sure they can do it. They've got everything they need. There's, there's no reason why they shouldn't. So
1: well, we'll be watching. And as I said, we're going to be promoting that tour and any other um, promotion right. or music that comes out around that time. Uh, cool. when, we, when we try to get this interview out in a timely fashion. And yes. speaking of time, uh, you've already been so um, hospitable to us with your time, and we really appreciate your time and want to be respectful of it. So at this point, we're going to start winding the interview down. Okay. Um, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but we usually ask all of our guests to recommend one fairly recent release and one older classic release uh, to the listeners. Um if you could, do oh, that. what of, of mine or somebody else's? Uh, usually, of somebody else's, somebody else's, not necessarily, okay, yeah. not necessarily even heavy metal, just something, no, okay, just something yeah. for people um, to, to research and get into.
2: Okay. Um, last in line, Dio, is a, an older release, okay. which is uh, fantastic, and and I think, well, I, I think that's Dio in in all of his his guys and 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 fantastic vocals uh, still sorely miss the guy really do um, yeah. we're uh, we're we're certainly worse off by losing him but um uh new release um, yeah I tell you what i, I uh Check out uh, Satan's Empire. Now they're not a massive band, but uh, they, they're bringing out one uh, called "Hail to the Empire." Uh, I'm recording it at the moment, and it's it's a really really great album. So uh, check that one out. It's not out yet, but uh, it's one
1: worth checking out. Okay, and what uh, I mean not to box them in, but stylistically, how would you describe them a little bit? Heavy metal. To to its absolute core. Alright. You
2: know, they are they they were in the eighties and they are still this, you know, to this day. And uh, they're a great bunch of guys, they deserve a bit of a kick,
1: you know. So, so this, this is a legacy because, band with um with a history. yeah, oh yeah. Excellent, excellent. Um and just quickly you did mention Dio. Uh what's your opinion on the Dio hologram concerts? Forget
2: it. The guy's dead. You know, mm-hmm. well, I, I I don't get the whole idea behind that. You know, I really don't. I certainly wouldn't go and see it. Um, uh, maybe people what well, people do, I know, I because th- I think it's been quite successful, hasn't it? But I, I, so. I just think, you know, the we should enjoy what he did for us. Not uh, 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 and I I <laughs> I don't know. I'm in two minds about it really, mm-hmm. but. Uh, uh, I hope they don't do it again.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I feel very conflicted about it. I have the same kind of uh, gut reaction of not not liking it, not thinking it's respectful. Um, yeah. but then some somebody did make an argument to me in conversation that for, you know, if you wanted to bring your kids there to to, to show them, you know, the legacy of Dio, like, I guess there's an argument that can be made that, um, that younger generations could benefit from it somehow, you know, but I, well, I, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, they could, I suppose, but then there's all of his videos that they, they could, yeah. watch, but, you know, so I don't know, I don't know, I'd like to say, I'm conflicted about the whole thing,
1: really so, um yeah. Me too, it's a shame. I, I just wanted to get your opinion on that. It's a complicated issue. Um, but Steve Grimmett, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your patience with the Heavy Hole Podcast. We really appreciate it, man. Oh, no problem it's, been, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And we look forward to seeing uh, Steve Grimmett's Grim Reaper in the States uh, late August or early September. We'll get that New York date, and we'll share all the information on the social media. Um, cool. And Steve, yeah. just anything else you want to share with the listeners and the fans? Anything you want to say um, in, in passing or anything like that?
2: Yeah, so I, I'd like to say to the fans and the people that are coming to see us and the people that have seen us, thank you for your continued support. And thank you for all the well wishes that, that I had, you know, when I was in hospital and and uh, and getting myself back up on two feet. Yeah. Uh, and I'll never forget any of that. So thank you very much, indeed. Love you all.
1: Excellent, and and thank you, Steve, for uh, your resilience uh, in heavy metal all these years, uh, and all the strength you've shown. It's it's inspiring. I mean, not to sound, sound cliche or anything like that, it is inspiring, I'm sure, to a lot of your fans and supporters to see you overcome the things you overcome. You know?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. uh, It's it, I, I I get. Uh, little things said to me well I say things to myself but in the words of the great Winston Churchill Sir Winston Churchill never 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 give up Mm. Uh and that that's been it
1: you know I think that's that would be a very strong note to end on, Steve. So, yep. um, yeah. Yep. So, so uh, all due respect to you and to all of your bandmates um, and to your legacy, man. Thank you so much, and we look forward to watching you continue to forge that legacy, Steve. So, we'll be in touch, and thanks again. No problem at all, guys. Take care. Right, Later, thanks, brother. Steve. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. ladies and gentlemen. There you have it. Really important interview for me. I got a lot out of it and we thank Steve Grimmett so much for his time and his patience. Uh, You know, we're not going to talk again about the technical difficulties we had but obviously we had them and we explained that Uh, And Steve Grimmett was so accommodating to us So uh, what a great interview And we just, uh, again, we urge all of the listeners To go back and check out his discography And all these releases we spoke of Steve Grimmett's Grim Reaper album that he had put out Walking in the Shadows I listened to that on the way to recording this It's fantastic Mm -hmm. A lot of fantastic heavy metal and hard rock uh, To be found in his discography and um, keep your eyes open for that Steve Grimmett's Grim Reaper U.S. tour uh, coming over here stateside late August, early September, and the new Grim Reaper album uh, entitled At The Gates. That's uh, They're trying to get it out in a timely fashion. So, uh, again, um, much respect to the legacy, the struggles, uh, and the uh, the triumph of uh, Steve Grimmitt. Yeah, and if you have any feedback for the episode, hit us up on social
0: medias, just Google it. And uh, if you want to leave a voicemail, What's that
1: number? Hit him. That number is 631-837-3274. Yep, so call us up. Leave us a voicemail. Leave us your uh, comments, suggestions, complaints, whatever you got, all right? Heavy Hole Podcast. And until the next time, we'll see you in hell.